0: We are going to jump right into this Christmas series, which I really believe will help us prepare for our celebration. It's coming soon. To many, Christmas is a holiday filled with good food. Say amen. amen. Say fun parties, gay men. Amen. And great gifts, amen. amen. Don't forget to get your pastor a gift. <laughs> I just, now they're looking at me, the pastors are looking at me and saying, Pastors. Some gifts hey, I like that <laughs> amen you know it quickly comes and it quickly goes and 365 days later you'll be celebrating it all over again over the next four weeks we will caution ourselves about four things the moors of Christmas the wars of Christmas the lows of Christmas and the woes of Christmas I think this is going to be a great series Let's begin this morning with the mores of Christmas, driven by consumerism and competition. Our scripture this morning comes from Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 18. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Just a few verses. Now, I will confess, this is not a Christmas text. Jesus is a big boy in this story, and he is busy doing the Father's work, and so I promise that Starting next week, I'll move a little bit more Christmassy, but since it's still November, you're going to have to bear with me. We're going to get into this chapter today. Let's read from verse 15 onwards all the way to 18. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Good reading. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us, Lord, about the mores of Christmas, how to avoid them. How not to get stuck in the consumer mindset, in the competitive mindset, but how to put Jesus first in all things. How to bring you to the center of our celebration, God. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would be people of prayer, people who understand the power of prayer, that prayer is communion with the living God, that you want this church to be a praying church, that you want us as individuals to be praying people. So raise the temperature in our prayer life, we pray, God. Father, I pray that as we move through this series, that you would speak to people's hearts and minds. Lord, we do not want to experience Christmas without you. We want to celebrate Christmas with you. You are the most important thing of the season, not just at Christmas or Christmas Eve, but every day of our lives. May Jesus be at the center of our celebration of our lives. So God, we put you first and we prioritize you. You are with us. And Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. I seek your help in preaching the word of God to your people, that they may hear it with clarity and obey it in their lives. And so they are come to hear a word from you. May you speak through me. Lord, uh, bless this time. Add your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Every year, there is a day devoted to shopping called Black Friday. And the Friday after American Thanksgiving marks the start of the Christmas shopping season here in North America. It just happened two days ago. And on this day each year, we start to see what I call the dark side of humanity. (laughs) Take a look at this picture on the little TV screen behind me. I apologize that our projector, we were having some issues, but we made shift this TV, and you can see the chaos. You can see the TVs that are on sale and people climbing over the other person trying to grab this 75-inch TV or 49-inch TV. Oh, man, I could just feel stressed looking at this picture. <laughs> you know, after standing in line from the wee hours of the morning, people will stampede through the store to find the large ticket items on sale with limited quantities in stock. And people will push, people will pull, people will yell, and people will fight just to ensure that they leave with their hands full instead of with their hands empty. This is consumerism at its finest. Furthermore, we try to compete with others. We brag about what we're buying for our spouse or for our children or our grandchildren. It seems the higher the price, the better the gift. And the reality is that many people are actually deep in debt for all these extravagant purchases. We get these cheap thrills from feeling superior to other people. We are always trying to keep up with the Joneses. Well, that's an American idiom. Maybe, I don't know what the family name in Canada is, but it's much more diverse than Jones. (laughs) The question is, who are we fooling? We are fooling ourselves. This This is competition at its very finest. And Christmas is not about consumerism. Christmas is not about competition. It is all about the more that is available to us in Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want to share with you a portion of Scripture about Jesus confronting and correcting the mores of Judaism in a way which will inspire us then to confront and to correct the way of our culture and the way they celebrate Christmas the way we celebrate Christmas. I want to preface by suggesting today that the temple in this passage is not only a literal place, but it is also figuratively the human heart. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, it was the Apostle Paul who said, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Later on, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, the Apostle Paul says something similar. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So keep this figurative interpretation in your heart and in your mind as we read through the literal interpretation of this scripture. Let's begin this morning. I want to share firstly with you, Jesus came to pray. Jesus came to pray. And we see this at the beginning of verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. The temple represented the place where heaven touched earth. It was the central geographical location for prayer, for sacrifice, and for teaching. And according to Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 24, this is the same temple where Jesus was presented or dedicated as a child to the Lord by his parents. According to Luke 2, 41, Jesus went to the temple once a year with his parents to celebrate the festival of the Passover. And though Jesus would have made many other visits to this place during the course of his lifetime, he made a very distinct visit in Mark eleven fifteen. As we will later learn in the scriptures, Jesus, he emphasized in particular in this scene, the importance of prayer, not necessarily sacrifice, not necessarily teaching, the importance of prayer. The temple was to be a house of prayer. And then if we are temples, then we are meant to be people of prayer, amen? You know, Jesus' entry into the temple reminds us of the frequency of Jesus' prayer life. Jesus would often remove himself from the crowds, and he'd find a place of solitude to pray. And the moment here he enters into Jerusalem, the first thing he wants to do is pray. The first thing he wants to do is connect with his heavenly Father. And the author of Hebrews, he summarized the prayer life of Jesus for us in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, where it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And here's the thing you might think, well, he died. That sounds like prayer is not answered. No, he was heard. Jesus was heard because of his reverent submission. I want you to know that Jesus prayed and God answered his prayers. I want you to know that when you pray, our God answers your prayers. Instead of the accumulation of possessions, what if we were so passionate about prayer? Who are you praying for this Christmas? Let me ask you that question. Who are you praying for? Because you should be praying for somebody. More than any gift, you should pray for your unsaved family members. More than any gift you could receive, pray for those unsaved friends. Pray for the healing of the sick. Pray for the peace of this nation. Pray for provision for those who are in need. Pray for unity in a time of disunity. Pray. Saints, pray. I do not think we rightly understand the true meaning of Christmas. For it is the posture of prayer that reminds us that it is not about gifts and presents. It's about a person, and that person's name is Jesus. And just as Jesus, he entered the physical temple to pray, friends, Jesus wants to meet you in the temple of your heart through prayer. You can have a lot of connections with God when you pray. Secondly, today, Jesus turned the tables. And I said this in the first service, but I'll say it in the second service. That does not mean that Jesus was a DJ. Okay? That's not what I mean. Jesus is not a DJ. No. Children, that's not true. We see this in the second half of verse 15 all the way into verse 16. Jesus began driving out those who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. It is through Jesus' holy discontent that we realize that the temple had become a marketplace. In Hebrew, they call this a shuk, And in Arabic, it's more popularly called a suk. I want you to imagine the hustle and the bustle of the marketplace in the most holy place. This would be the touristic capital of the Jewish faith with people on pilgrimage from all over the world coming to the center of Jerusalem. And the experience would be equivalent to shopping on Black Friday, (laughs) There was buying and selling. There was money changing. There was the selling of doves and other animals for sacrifice. There was the selling of merchandise. Now, this was all necessary. Why was it necessary? Because these people had come from various far places, and they needed to come and bring a sacrifice to the Lord. So they needed to change their foreign currency with the local currency. They couldn't bring an animal all the way from that distance, so they came and brought their money and bought a good unblemished animal, and then they could sacrifice it on the altar for their sins. So it was necessary in part, but at the same time, there is a problem. It is that what was meant to be sacred had become secular. It was a place of commerce instead of a place of worship. You know, Jesus driving out the vendors and turning, up the t- turning over the tables is not a sign of disrespect. It is not a sign of uncontrolled anger, as if Jesus was going crazy. Jesus was just ruining the place, ruining the temple. No, it's a sign of respect for the temple. In John two fifteen to seventeen, we find out more details about how Jesus reacted on that day. So he made a whip out of cords and he drove out all the uh, dro- drove out from all the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. Just imagine how stinky and poopy that was. He scattered the co- I said poop in church. You're right. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it was written, seal for your house will consume me. He was actually quoting scripture, or the the scripture is being quoted here, Psalm 69, verse nine. He would go on to talk about the temple being destroyed and being rebuilt just in three days. A temple that took... 40-plus years to build, but he was actually foreshadowing his own death and his own resurrection. Now, if each of us are a temple of the Holy Spirit, what should be the state of our inner and outer areas of our lives? Do we have zeal to reform our temple, which has been caught up with the spirit of consumerism and the spirit of competition? You know, this Christmas, we need a turning of the tables. We need to drive out the marketplace mentality out of our minds. Because Christmas is about the very presence of God being right in our midst, right here and right now. You know, the Jews had no access to the Holy of Holies. They were separated by a veil. But in Christ Jesus, the veil is torn. We have immediate access. We have unlimited access to the Father through the Son. And we do not need a physical temple. We have to care for our spiritual temple. Friends, it's not that Jesus doesn't want us to have presents and gifts. That's not what it's all about. The point is, that we have to turn things around. We cannot allow the world to teach us how to celebrate Christmas. We need to teach the world how to celebrate Christmas, where Jesus is at the center. Don't be ashamed, don't be afraid to declare it. Jesus is the reason for this season. Thirdly, today, Jesus taught the people. There was a teachable moment here in verse 17. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. What did Jesus mean when he juxtaposed those two phrases, a house of prayer with a den of robbers? You know, the prophet Isaiah, he prophesied of one to come, Jesus, when he spoke of salvation, not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. This was God's plan from long ago, that it was not just that Israel would be saved, but all the nations of the world would be saved through Israel. And God promised to bless the foreigners and those in neighboring lands. And the Jews, somehow, they seemed to ignore scriptures about ethnic inclusion. There was no room, there was no room for Gentiles, only room for proselytes, those who were of foreign descent, who would actually become physically Jewish. Jesus started by claiming his ownership over the temple. What God said in Isaiah 56 verse 7 is what we find Jesus saying in Mark eleven seventeen. 17. My house means his house. He's saying, that's my father's house. Therefore, this is my house. In addition, Jesus, he could have stopped at my house will be called a house of prayer. That would have just been just nice. But then he adds all nations at the end, which is a reminder that he alone could make it possible for all nations to come to know Jesus, to come to God, to come to the temple. Jesus was not only the fulfillment of prophecy and the embodiment of the temple, but he is the one who reinterpreted who could worship at the temple. The good news of Christmas is that salvation has come because a savior is born. And what people like Anna and people like Simeon and many others before them had long expected and prayed for had actually finally come. The moment had arrived and their prayers were not in vain. Your prayers are never in vain. Alternatively, the phrase, the den of robbers, is actually a statement about those who thought they were running the temple, those who thought they were in control. We often see Jesus pointing out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and that's true. There's a lot of manipulation of teaching, adding additional laws, and holding people to unrealistic expectations. That's the Pharisees, but there's another group of people. And here we see Jesus pointing out the corruption of the Sadducees. And what God said in Jeremiah seven eleven is now what we see Jesus saying in Mark eleven seventeen. Jesus is holding the priesthood accountable for their oppression of people. That it's not just about ethnicity, but it's also about social class, where people belong in society. And the Jews seem to ignore scriptures about social inclusion. And yet God had been watching. God is always watching. And here we see Jesus watching, not only watching, but now doing. And even without witnessing what we have done in our lives, he knows how we have wrongly treated others. He knows. Church, we need to get back to the original heart and spirit of Christmas. Christmas is not about what you can get, but about what you can give. It is during this season that we ought to think of those who are less fortunate than us, people who are experiencing grief and loss in their life. They've lost a parent, or they've lost both parents. They've lost their spouse. They've lost a person in their life on whom they were once dependent upon. I want to remind you of the words found in James chapter 1 verse 27. The religion that our God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this: to look after orphans and widows in their distress. How will you incorporate care and concern for other people this Christmas? Or is it all about you? Because if you do not do so, then who will do so? If it's not us Christians, then who will? Friends, we have to get back to the central topic of Christmas is not about what you can get. Christmas is about what you can give. Jesus gave. God so loved the world that he gave. Therefore, Christians give. As we conclude this morning, it's a really short message, but as the worship team returns... We have two choices about how we will react to the message today. And that Scripture. And the reaction is actually found within Scripture. The first is that we can become antagonistic towards Jesus. We find this in the beginning of verse 18, where it says, The chief priests and the teachers of the law, they heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him. They feared him. They didn't fear him because of his rage or anger, his holy discontent, but they really did fear him for some reason. Why? Because he spoke as one with authority. Jesus said something, he really meant it. And what Jesus did that day was rough. What Jesus did that day was tough, but it was necessary. You know, we need to be confronted in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit to confront us. But the reality is that we do not like to be confronted. All of a sudden, we become defensive and antagonistic to the very message of God. You cannot reject the message of God and accept Jesus. It doesn't work that way. You accept Christ and show that you accept Christ by accepting his message. So many people are antagonistic towards Jesus. Secondly, we can stand amazed by Jesus. You find this in the second half of verse 18. It says, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. I pray that you would never stop being amazed by Jesus. I don't know what it is, and I felt this in my heart and my spirit. There are just so many Christians out here Maybe online, maybe in person this morning, maybe people who'll just come across this message later this week. You are no longer amazed by Jesus. You call yourself a Christian. You come to church on Sunday, but you're not amazed. You've lost the amazement, the awe, and the wonder. You need to get that back. Something's wrong. Seriously wrong. I don't know what happened to you. I don't know what Jesus did to disappoint you. I don't know what happened there, but you know. And if you don't know, then you really need to look deep. You need to rediscover the joy of your salvation. You need to come back to your first love. You need to stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. You know, our amazement must then turn into application. We must actually do that which Jesus did and said. That's application. And as we enter this Christmas season, what will Jesus find in you? I hope it's not consumerism, I hope it's not competition. Perhaps the most profound words in the Apostle John's account of this event is found in John chapter 2, verse 25, where he said, He did not need any testimony about humankind, for he knew what was in each person. Let me read that to you again. He did not need, Jesus did not need any testimony about humankind, for he knew what was in each person. You have a God who knows what's within you. He knows what's the problem. And is there a prayer that needs to be prayed? Is there a table that needs to be turned? Is there a lesson that needs to be learned today? Because I believe that Jesus already knows what's in you. And he is the only one who can change you so that you will not be entrapped by the moors of Christmas for another year. I want you to be liberated today. I want you to be free from the grips of this culture. That Jesus would set you free to worship this Christmas very differently. Again, I'm not saying no gifts. I'm not saying no food. I'm not saying no festivities. I'm saying keep the main thing the main thing. Come on, church. We can do this. How will the world know unless we show them? It doesn't have to become a Black Friday in here to figure that out. We can read the scripture and learn from it. Oh, that we'd be a praying people. That we would take care of the temple of our heart and Jesus abides within it. And we would speak and talk with him and allow him to purge the things that don't belong in us. Purify our hearts. Cleanse us within. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 51. So that this Christmas, Jesus would be at the very center.